With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Bij Burger King gebeuren spannende dingen. Wat dacht je van een classic cheeseburger, chicken nuggets burger of sundae voor maar 1 euro per stuk? En dat is nog niet alles. Alle King deals zijn maar 1 euro. Haal ze nu alleen bij Burger King. And this is turning into a weekly group therapy session, isn't it? Uh, welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. Unfortunately, there is no good news, I'm afraid, and we're here to sift through the wreckage that was Turf Moor and Everton's two undefeated at Burnley. Uh, I'm Everton reporter Phil Kirkbride, and today I'm joined by Gav Buckland, Sport Dave Prentice, and Adam Jones with one place on the agenda, one game, and the multitude of talking points very few of which are positive um so we're going to get right into it right into the thick of it um and we'll just start with you know a very simple and we'll go around the table and ask people's thoughts what would you what are your feelings just at the, just at the start on the performance gav and and, and, and the outcome and, and and how it went sort of pear-shaped after half time um positive points i thought for um 20 minutes in the first half we looked as fluid and as dangerous as we've looked all season uh, to be honest with you, um, going forward at least, you know we had like Tom Davis was you know um, running from the from deep, and we had Walcott and there was you know providing a bit of pace and uh, some good linking up between Tosin and Sigurdsson. We actually looked certainly away from home and, and as, as a threat, and I think people said that. Um, that, is, that was, is that relative though, or was it just a good first half? Relative, it was. But I say for twenty minutes, mm, yeah, yeah, probably yeah. you know, including the goal. I mean, we had that, we had, the, we had the sort of uh, an oasis of four, four shots on target in the one half, which was from, like, you know. So um, on that basis alone, it was it was okay. In the fair day, I was definitely happy. And one little half time, thinking we got this in the air. You know, if we keep going, we've got this hopefully in the bag. Second half, which we'll talk about in time, familiar failings. The warning thing for me was that. It showed up on when we need proper leadership and character this season, especially away from home. It's been sadly lacking, and it was it was that was that's what I took away from that game. Really, Prono, what were your thoughts when you switched it off? Probably in anger. <laughs> well, in initially, initially uh, like Gav, really, I was I was heartened for a for a, a brief moment. The team sheet, two strikers. I thought, all oh, right, you know, Sam's going for it. Hallelujah. Unfortunately, Dominic Calvert-Lewin seemed to be utilised wide left rather than down the middle. Um, but, you know, still two strikers on the pitch. And uh, it made a difference. You know, Everton were positive, you know, had shots on target, knocked the ball around OK. Uh, probably one of the better, you know, away performances of recent times, but not with a great deal of competition, to be perfectly honest. But then the second half, Everton were just absolutely let down by awful defending. Uh, it was fairly basic what Burnley were doing. And it had been highlighted by the Sky commentators in the first half. They're getting the ball forward early. They're trying to get behind Everton. You know, if they can see it, why can't the Everton coaching staff? 
Um, Sean Dyche decided that was going to be such a successful tactic. He threw an extra big lump on, and uh, Everson couldn't handle them. You know, two big lumps putting themselves about. There should be meat and drink uh, for centre backs of the physical capabilities of uh, Michael Keane and Ashley Williams, but they weren't. Uh, they got battered. And that was the most depressing thing. So having got into such a good position mm. and then allowed it to slip with fairly mediocre defending, uh, it was very, very disappointing. Adam, yeah. how much did the second half at Turf more ruin your Saturday? Uh, quite a lot. Uh, I think the problem is it was it was just far too predictable for me. Like First half, we were playing well, as Gab said. We took the lead, but it was those missed chances, you know, couple couple for Walcott. Because he's done a bit better, you know. If we'd have got two or three up, maybe we'd have been a bit more comfortable. Obviously, Burnley came out quick at us the second half, and you've seen a lot of people over the last couple of days have mentioned mental strength, and I think that was that was the major issue. It wasn't even when Burnley got the equaliser; it was just those first few minutes of the half. They were pummeling, pummeling balls over the top, down the lines. They were really causing us instant problems, and I think the defence lost their heads a bit. I think they were like, "What are we going to do against?" Ashley Barnes, like we should, we should be doing a lot better against strikers of that caliber, really. And you, you could just see it coming from a mile off. Like even when they got that corner, mm. with which Wood Wood scored from, you were thinking, this is this is a massive danger. It, it's happened too frequently this season, hasn't it? And it's uh, you can't really point the finger at the manager, even though plenty did. You know, <laughs> it's 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 to do with the players and the personnel. And clearly they're not good enough. I mean, uh, Michael Ball's column yesterday uh, in the paper was quite telling. He says they need another overhaul once again. They've got to yeah, throw you know, the players out and start all over again because the players that have been recruited aren't good enough. They're not good enough mentally. They're not good enough physically. Uh, our best centre-half is still Phil Jagielka by a mile. He was you know, 35 and you know, arguably best days are behind him. But you know, whenever he does play, he makes such a difference. The rest of them just aren't up to it, unfortunately. Mason Holgate's disappointed he hasn't been seen recently because he was having a decent run of form, uh, but has gone missing. Uh, but it's, it's just happening too frequently. The start of the season, uh, Everson collapsed far too frequently, and it happened again. You know, As soon as Burnley equalised, there was only ever really one winner, and it wasn't going to be Everson. So let's talk about that equaliser then. Um, James Tarkovsky does a little shimmy on the touchline, gets away from Dominic Calvert-Lewin, plays it to Lowton, who curls it round the edges of the Blues defence Ashley Barnes runs clear and hands it home from about four yards whose fault was it Gav? It's <laughs> um, a good question um, got an hour I mean <laughs> I th- you know when you had the ball I know it was a good ball you didn't feel as if like they should be threatening from that position in the first place you, shouldn't, you, know, you shouldn't really be allowing them to play and I, I thought I thought Pickford People have said that Pickford should have been further out mm. in his goal. Fine, but he, he, he chose to stay on his line. And to me, the problem for me was once he chose to stay on the line, he should have done more. He should have, like, you know, moved out a little bit towards him in the six yard box, stood tall, and he, he didn't need either of them. He just basically sort of collapsed, didn't he? Remember Nigel Martin doing the same with Chelsea yeah. with Iron Robin in 2004? And I think um, I didn't have a problem with Pickford once he's made that decision because. Reasonably expecting like central defenders to take the ball anyway. Um, so Pickford on the line should have done more, and you know, as has been highlighted by a multitude of people, that mm. the two centre halves were just in the wrong place at the wrong, you know, wrong time. And um, th- this is the problem, isn't it? A wider issue. Our swapping and 
changing of centre halves. You just mentioned. Well, it's, it's funny. So, so does not lead itself to get proper communication. No. You understand what other the well, other yeah. partners going to be doing. And I wouldn't like to know what our stats are about how many times you tend to change our centre half. Well, yeah, it's funny you should say that because you know, someone asked this morning, and we did do a piece a few weeks ago. And uh, the first eight games of the season, Holgate and Williams were central defensive partners. That changed a few times because there were three sometimes, three at Man City, three at Chelsea, Jamie yeah, yeah. brought in. But they played alongside each other and were relatively steady. Okay, clean sheets against Rosenberg aren't going to frighten anybody, but they kept the clean yeah, sheets yeah. against Stoke, only conceded one goal at City. There was a degree of stability there until the Spurs meltdown at Goodison. And then that was when Ronald Koeman started chopping and changing and it hasn't stopped ever since. So, yeah, you know, maybe... To be said I, think, I think so. I think so. You've got to, you know, you talk about Sean Dice, he plays the same defence, mm. you know, every week. And he did last like, season, more or yeah, less. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and I'm not saying as that that's an excuse because he should be able to basically defend to a good level anyway because of your training. But I don't think it helps that mm. we, we've had so many different defensive partnerships this season change so regularly. That has to have an impact. Plus, right back and left back and all that type of thing. It just. It, 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 it's, it's, it's necessarily personnel though it's it's system like you mentioned Sean Dyche and he's got he's got Burnley set up in such a rigid system in such a way that when they lost Michael Keane you could just lift him out and place Tarkovsky straight in there the same the same profile of player essentially and it, it's not changed at all now yeah. Tarkovsky looks like as good as Keane did, did you listen season. to Gary Neville last night he was quite interesting <laughs> he put the blame entirely on the, the James McCarthy and Gareth Barry partnership being broken up, yeah, saying sure that that, that exposed Everton's back four to a type of defending they're not used to. They were so good at defending that you know, sort of back four, they weren't really exposed. I mean, to be fair, they've not played together for years now. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That argument sure carry weight. Yeah. 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 Just on the first goal, I've had it on uh, decent authority that uh, John Pickford opted to stay on his line because he was under the belief that Michael Keane was going to get it and pass it back to him. Hence. Yeah. Why he dropped, yeah, yeah, yeah. but then he accepts and acknowledges probably he should have done better um, when Ashley Barnes it's, it's gets, like, gets like, into sorry, the area. Nick Pope did in the first half at Walcott where he, he closed him down, didn't he? Yeah. He, he, he stood back and closed him down, and like Pickford should have done that. I thought yeah. it's funny at the time. I mean, I know Pickford's come under a great deal of scrutiny subsequently. At the time, I can't say I thought either goal you know was entirely down to him. The first goal I had Keane down all day long until you watch it again. You think, well, maybe Ashley Williams could have come across yeah, and yeah, done a lot better yeah, for yeah. him. The second goal, totally Ashley Williams, who lost his man. You initially picked he him up and then head. lost him and yeah. lost his head after that, yeah. But, you know, I had it down for him. Pickford again. All right, you see, you know, a six-yard box, you know, goalkeeper should maybe come and, you know, claim it. And he got himself in a, a dodgy position behind the striker. But again, not an absolute howl. And it wasn't like, you know, the Van Dyke headed at Anfield. It was, you know... It wasn't quite down to him. I just think the two central defenders had so much responsibility to take. And Pickford made so many good saves in that game. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I mean, the one in the first half was it that Barnes. Barnes. Yeah, yeah, it was a great save. What's what's our thoughts on on Keane? It's obviously we appreciate it's been it's been an up and down season for him, and you know he's had knocks and confidence along the way. Are we concerned by his lack of pace on the turn? That was something that was flagged up to me when we signed him. They said he's a good defender, but he's a bit slow. He got turned by Lukaku, was it last year at uh, Goodison? Yeah. Remember, I think. Yeah. Um, good question, but it's part of the. I'd like to see him in a solid defensive formation, with you know, with a proper left back, proper defensive. You took in and protected. Yeah, yeah. Proper right back. Mm. At the moment, I think he 
he's the one player I think who's been exposed because of all those defensive failing fa- defensive failures in selection and recruitment and I think that's exposed him I'd like to see him given game time you know like what I'm saying here like in a Bernie type where you can mm. just slot in mm. you know before a pass judgement but at the moment he, he's been okay for a few games but it wasn't his best on uh, on Saturday yeah. I think arguably coming up against Burnley was might have been one of the worst things for him because anyone who's going to know how to get at Michael Keane and Sean Dyche yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He, he knew exactly how to target him mm. and it worked so let's move on to the second goal. Ten minutes from time, Burnley get a corner, and the blindingly obvious happened. <laughs> yet, yet nobody in blue could see it coming, but everybody else could. The Looper corner—it wasn't a particularly good corner. They just pitched it up there. Wood out jumped Keane, I think. Pickford was scrambling. Williams went off on a walk. Uh, Preno, whose fault was it? Ashley Williams, totally. You know, he was the guy that actually had Chris Wood before the corner was uh, dispatched and like you say just somehow switched off lost focus and it's happened too much this season with him and it, it's weird what's gone wrong with his form I mean last season I wouldn't say you know he was spectacular but he was solid I think he played 37 out of 38 games every minute of those uh, 37 games and looked alright you know he did okay he was like you know solid he got himself into positions he did what Ronald Koeman brought him in to do uh, unspectacular but okay this season, he's just not replicated even that level of form. And it's funny again, you know, referring back to Monday Night Football, they suggested that um, his pace has gone and he now can't defend like he used to. And it's funny sometimes when you see players um, who lose that little bit of an edge and the way the frustration gets to them. Duncan Ferguson, it happened with him at the end of his career. I mean, okay, he was uh, an aggressive footballer throughout his career. But those last 18 months when he lost his pace and he couldn't do what you know he, he could do previously... Mm-hmm. He was punching people left, right and centre, getting sent off. You look at his red cards, the vast majority of them were all concertinas into those final 18 months. And he should have had another one against Aston Villa where he, you know, sort of oh, elbowed yeah. somebody in yeah. a retrospective ban. Good uh, Johnson, Joey. Good Johnson, wasn't So, yeah. you know, he was frustrated because his body wouldn't let him do what he had been able to do previously. I'm seeing similar signs in Ashley Williams. Uh, he's been sent off uh, this season. He's, he should have been sent off against Leon when he tried to take on the whole squad. And it's funny, he spoke afterwards... <laughs> Um, where he's talked about needing to be on that fine line of, you know, sort of having, uh, he described it as heated, but, you know, having to be quite close to the edge, you know, so that you can use that aggression in a very positive manner. And unfortunately, he's crossing the line, and I think it is frustration. I think he has lost a little edge somewhere, and it's manifesting itself in his discipline. Not not in a, in a you've made that comparison, which is a really interesting one, Pernod, but in a, in a playing point of view, are we seeing similar things with Williams that we saw with Distan, where almost overnight the legs go and therefore a defender who had great prowess, looked like he always had time, cut out everything, defended everything, was was a really, you know, not elite, but top-level defender, just lose it. Are we seeing similar? I don't know. Um, a couple of things on that. But what to say about Williams is, I think that's all well and good, but when you're the skipper, I don't think it's a great place to no, be, exactly. is it really? Because yeah. you're setting the example yeah. to the agenda for, for players who are younger and less experienced than you so that's that's the one thing that I, I didn't like about you know that, that yeah. sort of statement he should be above that type of thinking yeah. to be honest with you yeah yeah well with Williams yes but the, the issue then that comes a question of recruitment doesn't it mm. because he was signed on a three year deal aged 32 yes something like that yeah I mean they signed they stand at 32 but, but Sylvan had not had a 
And yeah, he was a physical like, specimen. He didn't have an yeah. international career, yeah. did he? Like, yeah. So we yes. had a bit more miles in the tank, as yeah. it were. Yeah. Uh, and plus he played, I'm not sure, a lot of Premier League football as well. Um, and if you compare them, their performances in their first two years, this stand 2009 to 2011 and Williams, Distance far, mm. but I had the Marby sure playing in the settled, yeah. settled in yeah. the defense, playing in the comeback, a settled defense where you're playing with Jags, Baines, yeah. yeah, Hibbert Coleman, yeah. you know. But it, it happens, doesn't it? To, it happens to a lot of players, but you adapt, don't you? And Williams just hasn't been able to adapt because he's he's good one on ones and stuff like that, but some of the basic errors he's made. There's far too many this season. I can think Limassol at home, Old Trafford away. You know, so Leon has been little games where he's just made mistakes that have cost goals far too frequently. And it was highlighted very early doors with the Goodison game against Burnley, when he was effectively in his own six-yard box when yeah, they yeah. scored. And because he's lost his pace, he's dropping too deep to yes. try and compensate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's you know getting him into trouble. It's, it, we mentioned it. Uh, I think it was Pram alluded to it earlier. Is there any coincidence that I think the three best defenders or the, the, the three defenders people would most likely say the best defenders at the club were signed by David Moyes and <laughs> that's a good shout actually I know, and, I'm, and I'm talking yeah. about Coleman Jagielka and Leighton well, well funnily enough again you know piece that we did earlier in the week yeah. about the, uh, the transfer strategy at Everton and how it's changed and uh, there's that book that Michael Calvin wrote The Nowhere Men where he was allowed access to Belfield and um, not, Finch by, not by Moyes, I must have. No, yeah. <laughs> when, when Moyes was away, yeah, uh, he went into his, his secret rooms, his yeah, bunkers, yeah. and you know it was absolutely meticulous. There was one room that had over a thousand names on a chalkboard, and that was distilled down into another room, distilled down into another room, and the final room actually had the current players and how much longer Moyes thought they had left in the tank yeah. and when they should be moved on and other players from the previous room brought in. It was absolutely brilliant to read. Now, you contrast that, such a meticulous level of you know, transfer strategy. And all right, Moyes got criticised for it, you know, dithering Davey, he tried, you know, he thought about players too long and too hard. But you'd rather have that than what you call like a trolley dash that we had in the summer, whereby, you know, oh yeah, that's a number 10, we like him, we'll have him. Oh, here's another number 10, here's another number 10. You end up with four number 10s, like, you, know, you just can't play them all. It doesn't seem to be a carefully calculated policy, uh, whereas under Moyes it was. And Moyes looked into players' backgrounds so in such a detailed fashion that he didn't make many mistakes. I know Per Crawledrup's the obvious one, but you know there, yeah. there weren't many that you could say were absolute howlers. And defensively, you could spot a defender, and he looked into the background. I mean, this Daniel have known was you know, reaching an age, but he looked at his fitness levels, his temperament, you know, his, his discipline. So can we yeah, even yeah. go back? If you go back, then if you said if we are all in agreement that Coleman, Baines, and Jags are the best three defenders at the football club. Are the next best ones also Moyes signings? Are they, if they go all the way back to Distan, Lescott? You know, as well, no, the, uh, last, the last, so, so, say the last so, 10 years. So I'm saying that. John Stones? Yeah, you know, who, you know, who, yeah. yeah, he has got the track record where Martinez and Kuman, we could strongly make a point that he hasn't actually improved the back line there. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think ever since Moyes left the defensive system and Everton has really. Really started to crumble. I think we got that high in 2013 14 when we had the defensive solidity yeah. of Moyes paired with the attacking flair of Martinez. But since then, since then, we, we just haven't seemed to gain that defensive system back. And however, however many managers have now tried to sign players that can, like good defenders on paper, 
it does it doesn't work if you haven't got a system to to put them in. Yeah, well, what I would say there about comparisons with Moyes, and, and this is not to defend what's going on at the moment, but is is an explanation is that you compare and now with Moyes when he'd been at the club five or six True. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know he he knew how the club operated. He knew. He was there five minutes. He brought in Josie yeah. Yobo. Yeah, yeah, a, yeah. Well, know. he did, and, but but just generally in yeah. terms of you know transfer policy and stuff yeah. like this, and you know knowing what's best for the club. You're talking like he probably you know that period was probably mm-hmm. 2007, eight when he'd been there six years. Yeah, you're yeah. talking about like a new system under a new, not just a new manager, but director of football and all this yeah. type of stuff yeah. that we've spoken about in the past. So comparison with Moyes are a little bit more. It's not. It's not. It's apples and pears, but what what it does show is that actually the the benefits of a very strict recruitment policy, where mm. you do go into to people to the nth degree, rather than as people have said, and for out of necessity because we've had to move on because of the money and stuff, what looks like a little bit more of a scattergun approach where we've. Well, not just in terms of the players we bought, but the types of players we bought. Pleno, as you said, like mm. ten, number tens and stuff like this, and not having a left back and not having a right back. Yeah. And and I think c- comparisons with Moyes are to to a degree, but I think they're unfair to a degree as well. Fair points, Gav, and uh, some welcome balance there. But we have to move on, and we have to move on to substitutions. Huh. Um, I will go through through them in chronological order. Fifty nine minutes at Turf Moor, Sam Allardyce. Hauls off Tom Davis and replaces him with Wayne Rooney. Were we all thinking, yeah, that's fair enough? I was, yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, I think yeah, we, need, we, enough, yeah. We, we were under the cosh. We needed to keep the ball. And, you know, Rooney has his moments, but, you know, that is something that he can do. And he did initially. We lost yeah. that drive and that penetration that Davis, you know, had brought in the first half. But, yeah, it was totally understandable yeah. in my book. And I think the sentiment in the stand would have agreed with that. Now, 68 minutes, Jenk Tosin, the man who scored. Evans' goal was taken off Umani Ass. The right decision. I don't. I, I don't understand. Particularly, like if you've if you've you played two strikers, yeah, Calvert Lewin played on the wing, but for me, Calvert Lewin didn't particularly do much. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't see him particularly involved much going forward. I just took him off and gone Nias and Tosin up front. Even though, can you understand what Sam was saying about? Tosin is still getting up to speed fitness-wise and he was tired. Well, Calvert-Lewin have not been tired as well. Uh, with being out for so so long, I can only presume Calvert-Lewin would have been tired having played 70 minutes, yeah. having only come off the bench for about 5 or 10 minutes. Or but so with, with, with him playing wide left, you would have had to like shuffle the system. You know, to yeah. Sigurdsson's been playing well yeah. wide left, hasn't he? Yeah. No, I, I totally understood the decision to take to- toes off. I thought he was tiring and I had no issues with that. And Nias, if he's ever going to be anything, it's an impact substitute. So, yeah, you know, I didn't have any issues with that. Gav? Yeah, no, I was going to say, I think you can tie the two, I'd see where that's coming from, like the second and third substitutions together, I think they're like linked. And there was a third one for me. <laughs> I know what we're going to say. I'll just interject. Obviously, as I'm sure everybody's fully aware, the substitution of Tosin uh, for Nias was met by jeers, booing, and then something I can't repeat (laughs) on this podcast. And then obviously, Gav, I'll let you now speak about the third one. The third one, 83 minutes, just gone 2 1 down, chasing an equaliser. Sigurdsson, I think it would largely have been Everton's 
best player probably on the, yeah. get, on the day, you may disagree, was replaced by Yannick Blassie. Gav, you think it was the right thing? No, no. Okay. Um, and it's sort of picking on. Ad's point really that, like, after to look at the second and third substitutes, substitution together, after taking Carver Lewin off, who I thought was, you know, struggling in the second mm. half, and I would have moved Balassi left and moved Sig- Sigurdsson. Yeah. It's also more in the central role where I think he's better off anyway. I mean, I played there anyway, I wouldn't play Matt. Yeah. And, and I think um, I think that was the substitution for me. Uh, whether with, with Sam's thinking because uh, Sigurdsson had that opportunity just yes, beforehand, he did, yeah. didn't he? I wouldn't like to think that that. You know, I didn't like get the impression it was the punishment. punishment yeah, yeah, was, yeah. Yeah. A few people have said that, but yeah. that was a substitution that should never have been made. And and I could see why people would strongly disagree with that because I just thought um, it was uh, it was wrong. Is Sam's thinking there just trying to play devil's advocate? Is Sam thinking bring Yannick on? We get it wide, we whip it in the box, keep Carver Lewin on, we might win headers, etc. I don't know. I'm trying yeah, to get. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that might be the thinking, and I think he's probably trying to use fresh legs of Balassi, you know, a bit of pace, a bit of skill to try and take on a defender. But I just think Ilfie Sigurdsson's crossing ability for me was would be much, much higher than Yannick Balassi's. I'd, mu- I'd much rather have Sigurdsson on if yeah. we're whipping balls into the box. Yeah. I mean, if you if you want someone to get to the byline and like hit, hit one low, then maybe Balassi would have been preferred the preferred option. But so, yeah. Sigurdsson was making things happen still. Yeah. You know the the chance that you know he missed. He created himself with this magnificent bit of skill. Yeah. He created the first goal. I yes, know it was a, a Walcott cross. I know it was a Colman flick on. It was his work before that that created the opening. He was making things happen. He was finding spaces. And presumably in the last ten minutes, when you know Burnley are getting a bit tired, you know he'd have found even more space. Now that was a baffling decision. That he, one. Yeah, I mean first off, he's just got the Walcott chance. Yeah. Anybody yes. up the bar. I mean, and, and you know it's not that age old thing, isn't it? You know sometimes you do what. The opposition at least wants you to do, and Sam did. If you're Bernie, then you take Sigurdsson off, mm. thinking, "Oh, that's a bit of a flu." Yeah, yeah, yeah that, really? you know, we'll have that all really? day long. Maybe that's know. why Williams lost his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. take yeah. him off. <laughs> yeah, um, and I just the second and third ones. I think maybe the combination should have been better, but so the Sigurdsson should have been on the pitch for ninety minutes. That's what I'll say. So come on, then you know we can't we can't beat you around the bush any longer. What did we make of the reactions then? The subs, second and third subs, and that period in you know as as Burnley went in front and Everton floundered and headed towards another away defeat. What did we make of the reaction? Was it completely justified, or is it? Do you never like to hear it? Well, go on, let me. Reaction of supporters. You yes, mean? yes. Um, I don't like to hear it because it means the teams play badly. That's what I would say. Um, first of all, um, and it was, was fully justified. And it's not just the Burnley games. That six away defeats on the on the spin. In, in all with, comes, with, yeah, yeah. You know, with the paucity of chances created in that time. However, there's one point I wanted to raise on on this is, is today was. I know Carragher mentioned it briefly last night, but do managers in the modern game get too much... The success and failure of the team is associated with them far too much more compared to the players. Well, you think players get off the hook a little bit and yeah. get thrown at the manager? Yeah. Possibly. I think in this respect, it's always going to be the case because, you know, as was said on Monday Night Football, a lot of Evertonians didn't want Sam Allardyce in the first place. They associate him with relegation, you know, teams, yeah. and, you know fighting against relegation and you know rightly or wrongly think that Everton should be far more ambitious and bigger than that um, so he came in on a downer straight away um, 
I think a large number of Evertonians were happy to give him time and say, all right, let's see what you can do. Let's see if you can turn things around and produce, you know, a team of the quality of the Bolton side 15 years ago that, you know, he produced. Yeah. Uh, but there's been absolutely precious few signs of that. And I think that's why they've been very quick to turn. I thought Jamie Carragher was quite good last night where he talked about it as being like the Roy Hodgson appointment at Liverpool. A lot of Liverpool fans didn't want him and you know, we weren't prepared to give him much time. And likewise with Allardyce, I don't think Evertonians were prepared to give him that much time. Especially think, when you've got a former Liverpool hero you you think, know, as, your, as your main coach. Do you think Saturday was in many ways a perfect storm because Everton had let a lead slip, they were found themselves behind in chasing a game, they played terribly in the second half, they didn't agree with substitutions, but they were being, for, for long spells that match, bettered significantly by the team who were in seventh but a team who aren't particularly any great shakes. And that, for me, yeah, kind yeah. of summed everything up. They've yeah. not won for the 11, 12 games, and they've not won a Premier League game from, yeah, from the Irons and throw all that Everton into the Everton may as well yeah, have yeah. taken that out in the local press going, yeah. haven't won for 12 games, don't worry, we're coming yeah. into town. I think but, that's it. That's it. That, I, think, I think the frustrations from the fans were completely justified for me because it goes back to what I said at the start. It was predictable. Everyone could see it coming. And the, fan, the fans inside that stadium will have seen it coming. And they'll see Sam Allardyce making these kinds of substitutions. The second and third one are, are debatable. And they'll, they'll see those kinds of substitutions and they'll think, well, what are, what are we doing? We're paying to tra- travel to Burnley yeah. in, well, snow, snow hit Burnley. Mm. And we're, we're coming to see just another another predictable away defeat. Like, I think they were quite right to voice their I, anger. I t- totally agree, but going back to my original point, I think... Just generally speaking, but particularly to Everton at the moment, that players get a lot less hassle than what they should do for their performances sometimes. I mean, Graeme Sooner said that in his, you know, his recent book. He said that like Morgan Schneider yeah. might disagree. Yeah, but, but <laughs> collectively, yeah. Graeme Sooner said in his recent book that like managers get too much um, attention paid to them mm. these days for, for their, you know, for, for the for what goes on on the pitch, and players generally get away. Not scoffery, but they, they get away with a lot less scrutiny than what they should do. And for me, on Saturday, that was a prime example. But how how much of this gav, and how much of it is what Preno mentioned that there was a there was he was fighting an uphill battle to a, a certain degree before he stepped foot in Goodison yeah. anyway. Yeah. And how much is it to do with how much he's being paid? And will be paid in the future. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but he's brought in to do a job, wasn't he? <laughs> that was the thing. But is he? he yeah, he's done part. I think would, yeah. would Evertonians argue? I'm just putting this out there. Would say, well, yeah, he's done part of the job. Well, we, we hope yeah. in keeping us up. Yeah, mm-hmm. but he hasn't improved us. Yeah, completely. But he brought us in to improve us or just to keep us up? Well, but that was was that was that not always the second part of the challenge? But the fact is that the chat the second part of the challenge arrived sooner than perhaps he expected. He, mm-hmm. he, he could argue that if you if you wanted me to improve you, why did you just give me an eighteen month contract? Mm. Why didn't he give me like a three and a half year contract? Because he, I'm not going to improve it over. Has, he, has, he, has he provided Everton with the quote, as Farhad said at the time of his arrival, the platform to move forward? Um, not than what I've seen so far. And one of the things about Adam said last week about like defending has been. We've just spoken about defending there, and that was one of the one of the points that was brought in for. That's been a disappointing thing for me. But I do you do wonder like the nature of the appointment. And that was I supported on here. I had to yes, yeah, that. Yeah. If you say if you bring in a manager that says your target's forty points and like sort of we get there or there about forty points, what do players do? Psychologically, do they just yeah. like say, 
you know, you know, remember last year under Kieran, we got ourselves into a really good position in about six or seven games last Well, year, ironically, like, it was yeah, almost yeah. 12 months to yeah, the day yeah. of the weekend when they beat West Brom, it was around that yeah. time. And like, they effectively last five or six games last season, the players down tools, didn't yes, they? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, 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 and the, the psychological thing of the appointments is maybe kicking in a little bit now that actually we've got there or thereabouts where we need to be to stay up and play the turn around well. What do you have? And they, all, and they also see the 18-month contract. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. uh, we've mentioned on these pods before how David Unsworth suffered because he never had the title of permanent manager yeah. and so some players could take liberties or go through motions. And you suspect, maybe not quite to the same degree, it's happening again already. You know, Some players are seeing an 18-month deal and thinking, well, is he going to be here next summer or not? There's uncertainty. And, you know. But he gets to blame there, the manager does. And, and this is what I'm saying about players collectively. You know, Just across the board in the Premier League should be should be you know put under more as scrutiny or whatever yeah. than what they are the manager to me always gets you know Allardyce deserves criticism obviously but it's not solely no absolutely it is, not but, 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 but it, 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 can, it can work the other way though like you could say arguably the stick that broke Martinez's back was the signing of Umanias yeah. who got absolutely vilified by Everton fans when he first joined and look at him now and we started this today by taking yeah. apart Keane and Williams and Pickford so you know I think you know the players do get as much scrutiny as the managers, but you know, ultimately, it all comes down to him because he picks them and he signs them. But some, as you said, there's three or yeah. four players that are still under the friend of Moyes here around, yeah. around the club. Mm. I mean, you're talking about what's my favorite, what's the quote I always say on the, on, on the, the George Graham quote about when you're a new manager and you go into the dressing room, always remember one thing that the people in there are the ones who got your predecessors sacked, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, you should always remember that. And like, You've got players there, okay. Sam's getting stick, and I think he deserves. We've just spoken about there about Saturday summer substitutions. We've got players there who haven't performed under him, haven't performed under Dunsworth, haven't performed under Cumin. Some of them go back to the Martinez days, where he, you know, 15, 16, you know, and and we need to bear that in mind when we're when we're um, firing off at people. You know, I, I think some of the players need to have a long, hard look at themselves, mm. and the manager's not above kissing. Within that, but I do think they do. When you, when I I just did some, I wouldn't say number crunching, simple tallying. Ah, oh, <laughs> um, Just bear these in mind. So when he was at Sunderland, uh, he was in charge for thirty matches and won nine, so a win a win ratio of thirty percent. At Palace, he won eight of twenty one, so thirty eight percent percent win ratio. So far at Everton, this is all in the league, by the way. He's won five of fifteen. So is this not just history repeating itself? Is this not just this is what Sam does. He doesn't win many football matches, yeah. but does enough. Yeah. I, think, I think it might be interesting to see what the away record was like for all those clubs. I can only presume it was pretty similar to, to what we're experiencing. Other than at Anfield, probably was. Where he yeah. won and got a point. <laughs> and got a point yeah. you know. It's funny, actually, a couple of guys came in from the BBC yesterday uh, to you know, sort of do some filming, and one of the other cameramen uh, was a Sunderland fan and he worships the ground that Sam Allardyce walks on because of what he did in saving them from relegation. It's expectations, mm. and you know Sunderland fans, you know, just wanted to stay in the Premier League. Uh, likewise, you know, so Newcastle situation he had as a dirt Crystal Palace. That's I would you know respectfully suggest that's you know their priority. You know, so every season Everton, you know, the, the, the minimum is trying to get into Europe and then trying to create a platform to challenge the top four, which you know we were at only about two or three seasons ago. So, you know, expectation that was massively different. And uh, they're great, those stats, Phil, because it does, to me, underline that he hasn't really changed in quite a few seasons at now. The, at the time, though, there were a lot of people 
worrying about relegation. Like we, were, I, w- I was we, one of them. Yeah, we yeah. we we were down. We were down and about there. Like mm, I'm not may, so sure. may, maybe maybe it was the expectation of Allardyce to come in and just get us safe. Yeah, I, th- I think that I think that the telling points about that stats, and I think that probably led to you know the justifiable annoyance. At the, Annoyance. That's a bit of an understatement. When you look at that five or fifteen, I would imagine if you look at it, it's probably something like four out of the first eight, one out of the last yes, seven, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And that's the problem, isn't it? Mm, it's yeah. not the five out of the fifteen; it's one out of the last seven. And the teams beaten: Huddersfield, yeah. Newcastle, Swansea. Crystal Palace, Swansea. Yeah, you know, Leicester, teams you, yeah. you should yeah. really be and looking to beat. It's yeah. we're, we're, we're heading downwards while there's teams below us, as we saw at the weekend, and now close to overtaking us you know yeah. I think at Bournemouth one they would have overtaken us wouldn't they on, yeah. uh, on, on at the weekend Yeah, it, it's the second half of that 5 up to 15 yeah. that's the issue I think Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we'll move on from Sam well sort of because unfortunately one of the players we want to speak about before we wrap up today's podcast is linked directly to him it's Jenk Tosin um, hopefully something positive in this yeah. in this room of gloom as it is today Um Took his goal really well, didn't he? That's a great, that's a, str- a proper striker's finish, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, there was we spoke about him last week, and the, the Jelovic uh, comparison got brought up by a few you know, people who good enough to listen. And it's an interesting one. He does run like him a little bit, doesn't yeah. he? I think, like you know, just and I thought it was a great finish. And I thought his link up playing that twenty-minute spell in the first half was was much improved. Um, and I thought he took the goal well, and so hopefully something to build on between now and the rest of the season. Um, notwithstanding the, you know, the fitness issue, mm. so I was I was pleased. Pronto. I was impressed. Yeah, I mean, what I like most about uh, seeing a goal like that is when you see a proper centre forward's header and his eyes are wide open and he's focusing on the ball and he knows where he's putting it. It was yeah. a proper old-fashioned centre forward's finish. That was good. But I mean, uh, the stats that the Everton website put up on him uh, today were quite interesting as well about uh, his pass retention or pass completion, mm. whatever you call it. Uh, was the best in the entire Everton team on the day. You know, so he sped the ball around well. He linked up play, like you say. Um, his work rate was decent. Yeah, there was, there was a lot to work on there. And you know, obviously, he needs a run of games now to see if he can build upon it. His confidence will be okay, despite you know the defeat. His personal confidence should be quite you know up as a result of uh, the goal. So yeah, he needs to be given mm. a run of games to try and build on it because yeah, there, there was signs of promise definitely. Add money well spent. So too early to say here. Uh, maybe it's a bit bit too early to say that, but it was great to see him score that goal. I think it showed that his instincts are definitely still yeah. still there. Like he was a really really good header, and I think those stats are quite interesting because I did think he looked he looked a bit stronger. It looked closer to the Tottenham Tosun that we saw. Mm. You know, he looked a bit stronger, better at holding up the ball, better at bringing people into the game. As you say, I think I'd, I'd have to hope that he starts against Brighton. Like he need he needs a run of games to try and. To try and build on that that good form, definitely. Does he need to play with with people close to him? Yeah. Sigurdsson was was really in the thick of it in that first half, and was and as Preno mentioned, was vital and pivotal in in, in the uh, in the goal. I get the impression he couldn't plough the lone furrow, as we could say. Could do a little card, mm-hmm. think, no. he now because no. he hasn't got the, the, that physical strength and stuff. And there was there was no sure when we got players in the round in the first half on Saturday. You saw there. Yeah much better performance from him and that's what we should be doing in the future mm-hmm. so the next person we uh, want to speak about before we wrap up today uh, he got 70 minutes last night at Goodison um, Davy Klassen um, <laughs> is he just standing agenda yeah, item on the, uh, on the podcast well, yeah, you, yeah. it wasn't going to be until yeah, last yeah, night yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, Preno do you feel 
70 minutes for the 23s puts him any closer to a first team return is he deserving of one I have seen absolutely nothing from David Klassen in his entire spell at Everton Football Club to suggest he should be near the first team might sound a little bit harsh but you know he's neat and he's tidy and that's it you know he doesn't win tackles he doesn't win that many headers he doesn't play penetrating passes David Unsworth a man whose uh, word I respect enormously and he's always really positive on Zee mm. Spoke to you after the game, and uh, his quotes were quite telling. Yeah, he did okay. You know, he was neat and tidy, and you want more than that if you're going to force yourself into the first team. Romero Funo's Mori did more, yes. and so he's certainly knocking on the door. Uh, David Klassen, not for me. Um, Adam Unzi said he had a, an honest performance and, and praised his work rate, and, and said his, his professionalism is is unsurpassed. Is that enough to get him into in, back into the reckoning in a team that's not winning and in desperate need of a win? And I think it's enough to get him. Back into the under twenty threes, I think the under twenty threes has got to be his his benchmark at the minute. He's got to try and build back up to the first team because obviously we all know he struggled with the physical aspects of the Premier League. I think the under twenty threes is going to be his best chance to try and get back up to that level. Look, he was he was neat and tidy as as you as you say last night. It's probably all he needed to be really. Like, there was no need for him to go out there and try and be the best player on the pitch. He hasn't played a game of football since December. And that's wrong. That's wrong. He should have been playing more on the 23 football. And I know it. it's a respect issue. You know, should the captain of Ajax and a club But I don't think he cares at this point. But yeah, yeah, I think he just wants to play. Yeah, I yeah. think that's it. The, the, pro- the yeah. problem is he just wants he just wants to get out there and play football. And like, it doesn't it doesn't particularly matter who the opposition was yesterday. I think he, who, whoever he was playing against, whether he was coming into a Champions League game or an under 23s game. He was just trying to gonna try and keep it neat and tidy. Yeah. Don't make any mistakes, and that that's why I think a few times he did make a few mistakes. Mm. He, he got visibly quite angry yeah, with himself. Yeah, he wasn't happy. Yeah, and he he just he just wants to try and work his way up slowly, and I think that's probably the right the right way to go about it. Excellent. So we will uh, talk about Brighton. Sorry, Gav, go on. Funes Mori played very well. Looks sharp, yeah. and he. I would say he's. I will be very surprised if he's not at least in the squad. Yeah. In fact, I I. Think there's a decent chance he might start, especially given if if Jags isn't quite ready. But we'll see uh, later would, in the week. Would you start on left back? No, 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 no. I, I think I think Baines he probably comes in. Oh, with Baines, with Baines you, be given he was on the bench on Saturday, yeah. I think yeah, okay. he would. But we will discuss Brighton on Saturday in more detail and and whether Everton can get back to any sort of winning ways and uh, Sam can uh, maybe restore <laughs> some. Uh, some goodwill or maybe it's too late but we will discuss that more when we meet later in the week on the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer thanks for listening